Welcome back to another episode of Shardcast, the Brandon Sanderson podcast. We are a bunch of mega fans giving you the latest news discussion and a host a whole lot of opinions about Brandon's works and the Cosmere. We are following up last week's episode. But before we talk about the secret, secret subject of this episode, let's go around and introduce ourselves. I am Evgeny, and joining me once again is Jufu. We're getting really creative, huh? Getting the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> I, I tried. I had to try. pronunciations. Wow. Uh, but, but you can call me Joshua if you don't want to be confused by my username. Okay. Jufu. <laughs> uh, also... Also joining me is Danielle. Hey. Hey. Also known as Fell Candy. Still not Great. confusing. Still not confusing. No, still still exactly easy to the say. Same. <laughs> uh and I am Argent, your host for this evening. Although I don't know if it's evening, but probably not. Pretend it is, even though we're all lit well lit. As alluded earlier, we are revisiting the subject of last week's episode. Um if you didn't watch that, we are going to be talking about Secret Project 3 and, and also possibly mention other, other Secret Projects such as 1 and 2. We will not be talking about Secret Project 4. Uh, what we will be talking about are words of Brandon that came out of the Secret Project 3 stream. So if you are trying to protect yourselves from... Secret project spoilers and the titles of these books and anything related. Now is your time to leave. Good luck. We'll see you in like a year and three months when this book comes out. If you are not trying to protect yourself, if you are brave enough to, although it's not about bravery, right? Uh, to, to venture into the depths of Brandon's secrecy. Um, and well, this episode's for you. So let's give everyone a moment to leave. And we're back in. Okay. So Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, episode two, we are going to uh, pick up right where we left off last episode. So we were just getting ready to start talking about um, the setting of the world and how the magic, and, and really setting and magic, uh, it, they are so intertwined in so many elements of this world that we can't talk about them separately. On the uh, um, in the uh, original stream, branded it, I think, um, before, like before, right after the Kickstarter started, uh, was um, talking about how a lot of these worlds that the secret projects are about um, are more fantastical than what he typically writes in the Cosmere, more towards the direction that, that Roshar is in, where if you if you found yourself there, you would be in a very alien place. Yeah. And so I think that um and it's really the magic magical things that make it that way, right? Like um the settings are just very um evocative, very bizarre, very magical. So yep. And yep. Uh so we'll talk about that. Uh we'll also touch on uh, most of the words of Brandon that came out of the stream, we mentioned a few last time uh, where it was appropriate, but really most of them, as is the norm in this fandom, were about the world, were about the magic, were about how things connect. So uh, we'll cover all of the stuff and we'll talk about how things relate to the Cosmere in general. Cool. So that's the game plan. Let's jump right into it and we will... Uh, start by talking about uh, Painter's World. 
it's a it's a world of darkness of a shroud that lets no light in except for a single star that shines like a bullet hole in the sky. Uh, it's a world of heon lines and nightmares that prowl the streets and nightmare painters who protect the world of men against these nightmares. Uh, and it's also a surprisingly modern world. Um, maybe, maybe, that's a, maybe that's a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah, so someone asked, uh, it was Connor, I think. Uh, Connor, who's done some art for us before. Um, Connor Chamberlain, he asked about um, what the setting is like because he wanted to produce some artwork, which I'm really excited for. Um, and Brandon pointed him to like early 20th century Tokyo, which is surprising to me a little bit because in my mind, it's a it's more advanced than that. Um, it's more like late 20th century. Um, I guess maybe he's just talking about the architecture. And you have the you have the issue that they've got magic. So there's kind of like this weird blend of like the technology might look further than than it would otherwise because of they have magic. Yeah. They, they do mention they have other things like light bulbs and stuff, I think. They do have incandescent yeah. light bulbs. Uh, they have trains. Uh, I mean, they have a rocket they are sending to space. Yeah, yeah. But that was, that was Heon. <laughs> that, but that's Heon, right. <laughs> um, and that's the, that, that's, the, that's the bit that we don't get as much in Mistborn. Uh, right, Mistborn technology is very much like our technology. Scadrian's a little weird, but uh, but it's very much like our technology. This is much closer to Roshar, where you have similar things to our world in that we have planes, they have airships, right? But the way those things function is uh, they are completely dependent on on magic discoveries. Mm -hmm. So it makes for for interesting. Hey, they have apartment buildings and and stuff like that but also rockets powered by magical electric lines that go into space. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, like a cyberpunk magitech. Yeah. It's definitely different. It's unique. It, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, like it. a lot of things, isn't it? And, and unlike all of them, so, I don't think there's much about the modern aspect of the world. Yeah, no. Well, they've got noodles. <laughs> they got noodles. One of the reasons Hoyd is interested in this world. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy for Hoyd that he, well, well, presumably he got to taste some of the noodles before he froze and turned into a coat rack. <laughs> and, and presumably he will free himself at some point and, and just immediately attack the nearest noodle ball. Well, isn't the noodle pupil his establishment and designs running it for him? So Partner. she 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 stole his money and built <laughs> the noodle pupil with them. So good for her. Uh, it's 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 really hers. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. So let's talk about the Heon. Let's lines. talk about the Heon. So what what do we know about the Heon? Like, so we know there are two. Um, I don't know if they are two different types, but they are certainly two different colors of Heon lines, and one of them is kind of this electric but so both of them have a very electric field and so one of them is magenta and the other one is aqua or or cyan cyan they run through the entire city pretty much they, they provide illumination they also provide energy for a lot of things uh plants grow because uh because of heon uh and specifically they grow towards 
the Heon, which strongly indicates that obviously it's not a real thing, but the plants growing towards it um, tells us that there is investiture there because this parallels other situations where where plants are are um, nourished by investiture. It's it's providing for their world a lot of what the sunlight what sunlight would normally provide because they don't have sunlight. Um, so it's yeah. it, to some extent, Brandon's kind of using them as a as a workaround for why the world is not completely imperceivable. Like it's it's letting it be a little bit normal. <laughs> A little I'm bit. Sure, it's giving them some kind of UV or something. I think there was a question about what the people of Kilohito would look like being in complete darkness. Yeah, and I think he said he said they're like a little bit pale, um, but but that it's kind of a recent yeah. Thing. So so it happened. He says that it happened seventeen hundred years ago, right? Death so it's like not long enough for like humans to like evolve and just. Yeah, um, it's just uh, I guess affected them in a small mm. way. Yep, uh, and it provides them with electricity uh, because apparently, if you take two, if you take uh, the, the two types of heon and you touch them to a metal plate uh, that heats up the plate, it provides energy, and so there are other ways. That's how you get incandescent lights. Actually, I don't know if it provides them with electricity. It provides them with light. It provides them with. Energy and heat, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so not not uh, ne- okay, not necessarily electricity, but it, but it does it, like it does feel like a like like an electric circuit, right? Like it feels mm-hmm. like you've got like two wires and like there's a hot wire yep. and a and a and a ground or neutral wire, and like if you connect the circuit, then you get it runs like electricity. Right? That's what kind it feels of like, like. A spark or something. Yeah, I mean, presumably uh, but, it's it's I mean it's it's powering um, uh, lights. It's powering. Um, the uh, trains, some modes of transportation to some extent. Um, they mentioned having a, a Heon viewer at some point. Which uh, sounds what? like a TV because yeah. they have dramas on it. <laughs> what I'm confused about is how do they manipulate these Heon lines? Like, <laughs> like did they, when they first settled this area, were there only two and then they started branching it off? And, or when they settled it, they found like, like a noodle bowl of, of magenta and cyan and then they just kind of built their city around it the 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 uh, the noodle restaurant is destined to be here because (laughs) yes it's where all the all the heon comes from it seems to me like that they must be able to manipulate them in some way um i don't know if they can make them grow like can they Mm. like as the city grows can they like can they like like extrude it from the main yeah well i mean they are they are shooting lines into space so mm-hmm. it feels like they must be able to if not to grow them then at least stretch them but stretching a line to another planet seems like you you're, have you're to gonna have end up with like a thread propulsion or something too yeah i don't know um the other thing I'm curious about is like what, what they look like at the end, like mm-hmm. presumably like they're starting the like end, like there's these two parallel lines, but like where, like, do they just like sort of get to a point and they just sort of stop somewhere or do they <laughs> like fiber do optic they, or do something they tie together or, or yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm curious how that works. Can you, can you just extend them or can, or do you, can you like branch them off or like, can you turn one into two lines? I don't mm-hmm. know. 
It's well, not something really clear. That I really hope that it gets into that because I don't like these kind of unknown elements. <laughs> it doesn't help with my mind's picture. And obviously I want to do some fan art. So <laughs> I need to know. We want you to do some fan art. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Brandon, Brandon, get on it. <laughs> I, I, I will say like the mystery is kind of fun in the sense that like it's, it's so natural to them. And so it's like not even like being explained to us because it's mm -hmm. just like, that's how their world is. Um, so well, it's a little immersive in that way, maybe. When when Yumi shows up, I hope there's going to be a little bit of a explanation. She's going to be some info dump. Yeah. So we we do we do have an interesting word of Brandon that even though it's a Rafo, uh, provokes some some interesting thoughts, and it comes from uh, King's Daughter six thirteen or six one three, uh, who asked whether. Uh, who tells us that uh, the Heon colors are two of the inks used in printers, uh, magenta and cyan. Uh, was that intentional? Brandon confirms that it was. So what happened to the third color used in there, yellow? Um, and if you just read the transcription on Arcanum, Brandon says, good question, Rafo. But if you watch the video or hear his intonation, he seemed very pleased by mm -hmm. by this question like this is a raffle but i think this is a uh oh yeah this yeah yep i i want you to be thinking about that kind of kind of raffle and i believe we have uh uh, uh a resident expert on on this call who knows all about colors i wouldn't say expert but I do know about CMY color schemes or CMYK as it's more commonly known by us. Um, it's basically, it's a printer color scheme. It's a pigment model that printers use. So we have cyan, magenta, and yellow are the primary colors. And then K is key, which is usually just a, a filler, like a black or something. When you're looking at these colors, and they're in full brilliance, they will be white. If you're mixing them as pigments together, they will become black. So uh, they affect light in different ways, um, depending on how you're perceiving them. Like, for example, the old CRT, the um, televisions that used red, green, and blue, um, when they're all fully 100% brilliance, it produces white TV screen. Um, the red, green, and blue comes from the magenta, cyan, and yellow. So magenta and cyan creates blue, magenta and yellow creates red, and yellow and cyan creates green. So that's how it gets the full color spectrum from those three. So when King's daughter was asking about CM, where's the Y, we don't have a full color spectrum on painters planet basically from the high on or he on um so there's definitely going to be something coming into play with bringing yellow into the picture um i'm thinking that this is total speculation that the shroud or the the nightmares themselves are the black portion of cmyk uh, but I'm not 100% sure about that. I don't know where that would go. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Obviously, they need like the other colors to make their, their dramas on the television. 
but more color. So they mm-hmm. it's really just a quest to like give them better television. Yes, uh, which is a very important quest. Yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of the what to make of the missing yellow, and and in addition to this, over on on Yumi's side of things, we see spirits splitting into an orange. Not a magenta, but an orange half and a blue mm-hmm. half. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't. And, and neither half is ever described as magenta or cyan. But the the blue paralleling the the cyan and the orange being kind of in the same neighborhood as as magenta is really interesting. But once again, we don't have a yellow expression of the magic. The sun that was being described as like a bowl of stew, <laughs> that is only visible from Yumi's, from Torio. Um, it's not v- visible from Painter's World or Kilohito. The shroud, I'm thinking, is blocking that, or the way that the planets are arranged around this sun is causing uh, that planet not to be able to be hit by that light. Oh yeah, it could like a permanent eclipse. Yeah. So the the yeah. three of them are. Rishari and the did heat ask, too. Uh, the heat, yeah. Uh, Rishari did ask if um, Painter's World was tidally locked with the sun. I th- something to that effect, like asking if it was just always facing away from the sun, mm-hmm. um, or whether the shroud was just blocking the light. And Brandon did say that the shroud is blocking light, which makes sense. Like, because at the very least, you would expect to see more stars. But he did not. Um, I don't think. I think he raffled whether or not the, the the planet might be facing one way or the other. Maybe maybe we need to talk about the shroud because that that seems to interfere with our proper Heon speculation. Obviously, that's that's another staple of Painter's World, and it's this blanket of perpetual darkness that that covers everything. Uh, it is never explicitly mentioned that it goes above the city as well, but it just sounds like it's it's like a blanket of darkness across the land, and you have these these bubbles uh, where you have Heon, uh, where where cities develop and grow. It, it does uh, say that the city. It, it does say the city is smothered. This uh, it smothered the city like a dome, which I so I assume that that does yeah does mean that the uh, yeah it goes right over the top. Which makes sense, right? Something really interesting that was mentioned um, in Painter's perspective was when he first saw a sign of the nightmare, he noticed that the shroud looked like it had been semi-dried paint and that someone had touched it. So it made me think that the shroud was more of a physical rather than just a darkness, that it actually had some kind of form that could be, you know, it, it keeps its shape or something like that. Uh, and it looks like it has substance because it's like mm-hmm. rippling and bubbling mm-hmm. all of the time. Is it is it supposed to be implied that the nightmares are like made of the same stuff as the shroud, and like they're just like breaking off from it and entering? And the, there's the certainly liquid. a line that because they because there. they leave like a liquidy like residue behind sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Makes me wonder what the ink that they use is made out of. Like the actual physical ink mm-hmm, that they're painting with, because mm. all of the paintings are black or grayscale because you dilute it to create 
different gradations of tone or value. Oh, you think they might be painting with like shroud stuff? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> oh, this is kind of like a tangent, but an emperor's soul, um, they, they, they use like invested ink for their stamps. Is the ink that Shay uses invested? Is that ever clear or not? Not to my knowledge. Okay, that was something I was. I not... I, th I think it's just like red ink that that she uses. I, so I just had this thought about the other day. Um, in the stream, people were asking if what painter is using to paint the nightmares is it um, is he using investiture, and and Brandon said no. Um, but I was wondering if like the ink could be like invested or something like that. Um. I don't think anybody quite asked that, and I think it would be a little bit different. But, anyways, yeah, just another thought about um, the ink. So, when I was reading this before I finished, my first thought was that they were on the same planet, and that painter was on the other side, and um, that Yumi was on the side facing the sun, like kind of like how um, Taldine is, um, where only one side always gets light. But then when they started talking, mentioning that both sides have a star in the sky and then painters mentions that it was a planet. Um, something interesting is happening on Yumi's side. When you look at the star, the day star that she talks about, it's blue in color. And like what I was saying, the magenta and cyan create blue. So that light is still able to penetrate the shroud of the planet and able to reach Yumi's sky but it doesn't mention what color Yumi's light is. If it's yellow, that would make it white in his sky and it would be able to penetrate the, the shroud. Uh, I, I was going to say red, but, I, but I'm not certain anymore. I don't think they mentioned the color of it because I was looking for that in my second time reading it, specifically because that's when I was kind of formulating that theory. Mm. Huh. Yeah, I don't remember that either. That's interesting. So if it's a colorless light and Yumi's light or her re reflected Torio light is yellow, that would kind of make sense in a physics aspect. Huh. Hmm. I like it. I mean, I don't know. Definitely would not have caught that, but maybe that's that, interesting. Yeah, I, I really like the thing about the blue, about the um, cyan and magenta make. Yeah, so mm -hmm. that's interesting. Something, something to watch out for. You know, in a year and a, yeah. and, a, and some change. <sighs> it's too long. Uh, but we do need to go back to the shroud because we did get a couple of a couple of interesting wobs, and even and even outside of the wobs, uh, it is notable that while the nightmares do leave, like they exit from the shroud and go into the city to feed on uh, on on emotions. Mm -hmm. they are told to return to the Shroud to kind of replenish themselves and, and regenerate and recharge, um, which I think adds weight to the argument that they are made of whatever the Shroud is made of, uh, which makes the next word of Brandon particularly interesting, where Mistborn Taylor asked whether burning tin would allow you to see through the Shroud and Brandon just immediately confirmed that as yes. I love that someone named Mistborn asked for that. <laughs> How predictable. But yeah, this is something that um, people were kind of chatting about, wondering what, what the implications are, because in um, 
there's a, a light implication, I think, in in Mistborn Era One that part of the reason that they can see through the tin allows you to see through the mists is because it is of preservation. Um, so I, I'm kind of, I guess, a little bit curious if Brandon will like stick to his guns on this if after it like goes through a few more revisions. Um, but at the least to me, it implies that the shroud is made of investiture, right? With the idea being that tin allows you to, you can see through it because it is, it is investiture. And so you, you're able to penetrate that. And I guess it always had to be right because there's no, it, it, it's not, it's not a gas. Um, it, it reacts to magical heon. Um, it's not a solid, obviously. It it gives birth to nightmares, which are um, which are clearly made of investiture. Uh, they are very much in the same vein as uh, Spren or Sion's or Fey, apparently. Uh, which we're definitely not going to get into. <laughs> so so yeah, uh, the the big question obviously is what kind of investiture, right? And I don't think we have any clues on that. Except for maybe uh, a word of Brandon. I mean, I mean, there's virtuosity, right? That's like the bit, like that's the obvious big uh, <sighs> mystery box, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think you're going a different direction with it, but I, I was. Yeah, but the virtuosity thing is is definitely important because uh, even though we haven't talked about virtuosity at extent, obviously Eric did in a solo video. Go watch that. We know that she splintered herself uh, some time ago, and we also know from like in-world records that the nightmares started and the shroud fell upon the land when, like, with with the like pieces of a dead god raining from the sky, uh, which has to be a nod to virtuosity splintering, right? Uh, and so maybe you have like her investiture dropping to the land and like forming this shroud. Mm. It feels very much um, like what's going on with Threnody. Right. Uh, with, with, so you had ambition and odium had this like battle and like pieces of ambition, like rain down on Threnody. And that's what created the evil and all like the weird magic-y stuff that's going on there. To me that it feels like the same. It feels like a similar thing. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. I thought that the Heon was parts of virtuosity. Well, there's that splinters, it, and it could be right. That's 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 the thing with the with the super vague phrasing of virtuosity splintered herself. Right, we don't know the extent of the splintering. Like one of the things that we haven't really talked about was why there are two colors of of Heon. Um, we talked about it in the context of where's the third, but we haven't talked about why, why it's not just a single color. Like with all of the other shards, well, at least most of the other shards that we've seen, when they manifest magic, it's a single color. Yeah. Because every shard or most of the shards we've seen are strongly associated with a single color, right? And so the fact that there are two for Heon is weird. And also the fact that there are two colors when uh, the Hijo split themselves is also weird. Plus the missing, potentially the missing color, plus then all this like black stuff. There's a lot of, there's a lot of colors going on. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Um, the, so the the um, the Heon and the the Shroud are are related to an extent because the 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 Heon pushes back the Shroud. So there's a there's some kind of a relationship there, but they are at the same time at the same time they're also very different from each other. So it's kind of hard to reconcile all the magic. But I I almost wonder if Heon is like an artifact of virtuosity's involvement in the world before she splintered herself and then after she did the additional investiture that dropped from her was this kind of quote-unquote dead investiture and that turned into the literal stuff of nightmares and so you have this this structured oh i am going to give the people of this world a means of I, I wouldn't think of Heon as a means of creating art, but it, it's a gift that that uh, she she gives them. And then post-mortem, uh, there is additional investiture that just messes things up. Whatever I'm trying to think if there was a if there was a mention of this like splintering of virtuosity on Torio because they're so they're so ritualistic and they have all of these uh, rules and things. I'm sure that they have some kind of reference to it. And that's, that must've been where this ritual comes from with the numbers and everything. I just don't know what the connection is. Yeah. We have absolutely nothing there. We don't even, we don't even know if the spirits are associated with, with virtuosity, right? It, it seems likely, especially with the with the dual color split. Maybe I don't know. Well, maybe maybe the answer the fact is that Yumi is using an art form to do this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but maybe the answer is that while other shards get a single color virtuosity as the shard of artistry, it's like no, I I need more, right? And so maybe there's like so so one idea I had was that there is kind of an internal split within the shard. So it's still the same shard, but different parts of, of its investiture are like slightly different in some way. And so you have like a blue half and a, and a magenta half, for example, or maybe it's, it's three segments, right? And there's mm -hmm. something, maybe the, maybe the yellow portion turned into the nightmare for reasons. And so that could be a way to introduce something unique to, to, to shards and how they splinter. And so on, on one world, because of the inherent connections between shards and the worlds they invest in, you have cyan and magenta. And on another world, which is a different world, and so the relationship between the shards and the world is different, you, have, uh, you don't have Heon, you have spirits, and you don't have aqua magenta, you have blue orange. But that seems there's it, no it could... there's no clean split yeah. that I can see. Cause if I my brain keeps wanting to say that the split is C, M, and Y, but I don't see it <laughs> there. So there's definitely something weird going on. We'll find out in one year and three months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm way. laughing, but I'm also crying. We do, we do need to go back and, and touch on a couple of things uh, regarding nightmares, though. 
And one of them is uh, this, this word of Brandon that I was going to bring up just before we, we talked about tin, because I think it, it gives some potential insight into, uh, into the Shroud and the Nightmares. And it comes from <clears throat> Heat Haze Days 524, uh, who notes that Nightmares are being described as being black, dripping ink-like substance evaporating to smoke before disappearing. Uh, and they notice that this is very similar to the way Nightblood also drips something that is described pretty much exactly the same way. Uh, and Brandon does say that this is not a coincidence, but also adds that, uh, that I'm not sure how far you can read into it, but it's not a coincidence. I don't, I don't know what quite what to make of that. I guess to me it reads like it's like the same thing as like red in the Cosmere. Like it doesn't mean a specific thing. It's just like a, here's a Cosmere use of a similar thing to evoke a similar thing. I figured they, there would be like a common underlying thing. Obviously, it's not a corruption because corruption is, is red or co-opting is red. Uh, but there is an underlying fundamental of the Cosmere that is at play in both Nightblood and the Shroud. Now, unfortunately, we don't understand how Nightblood works. Uh, if we did, I think that would have been a clue. But maybe it is worth keeping in mind that there are parallels here so that if we, in a little over a year, figure out how the Shroud works, maybe we can apply that to Nightblood. Or conversely, if we ever find out more about Nightblood, we can come back to this story and go, okay, well, how... Uh, what, what conclusions can we derive from this knowledge? The the inky blackness of the shroud doesn't act like the inky blackness of Nightblood. Like it physically, it drops kind of like a liquidy um, gas, but it's it's not consuming everything that it touches. It doesn't do anything to the Heon. It doesn't do anything to Painter. Um, and even the nightmare touches the little boy's face and it draws blood. It doesn't like turn him into like having all these yep. black veins or anything. So um, yep. I don't know if maybe, I mean, they're obviously not the same. Uh, they just look very similar. So there's something about how this inky blackness uh, acts in a physical matter so the the other connection right is the mid is midnight essence right that's something that people have brought up mm. do i get into that so like which is which is a very different thing than night blood um but midnight essence being from stormlight archive you have a certain unmade who can create these black uh inky creatures right that maybe are similar to to nightmares in some ways in, in some ways, right? Notably, the Midnight Essences feel like they're, they're, they're gas bags. So like if you, if you puncture them, there's no like substance inside. They just kind of deflate. Mm. So that's something to look out for if we ever end up in like a physical fight with the Nightmare. When the Nightmares actually create like a, their form after Painter makes the bamboo, he says that they evaporate into thin air after <sighs> after they accept it. that form so yeah. that's kind of similar at least once it accepts that that form that he's painting 
I, I have seen people who are like go all in on this and think like, oh, these are like midnight essence. And I don't know how to make sense of that. I can't, I have a hard time uh, believing that um, uh, Risha fear has like picked up and like um, taken a, a spaceship over to this other planet. And is like, like that's just like a little bit too out there for me. So I, mm -hmm. I don't know maybe like what Risha fear is doing is like a larger Cosmere thing. Um, and so midnight essence refers to like, uh, I mean, like you have like different forms of light weaving, like are there different forms of midnight essence? Mm. Yeah. Um, or is it just something that's similar to midnight essence, but not, I don't, I don't know. And, and that, that could be especially true with, uh, the parallel over in Tress where we have the midnight sea where on stream Brandon explicitly drew our attention to, Oh, you've heard of the midnight mother. And stuff like that. So, I, I I could I could accept the oh this is an underlying cosmere wide phenomenon mm -hmm. where you can create oily smoky monsters. You can kind of see it on um, Threnody as well with the shades. Although I don't uh, know if they're described to, as like this liquid yeah. gas though. I don't think so, but I'd have to reread it. It's been a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We do need to keep going, though. <laughs> you want to talk about painting nightmares? I want to take a look at what this Nahelbond thing is. Care oh, about that. yeah. He said you could create a bond with the nightmare. And so, so we alluded to this a little bit, that um, the nightmares are like cognitive beings of some type. So they're similar to Sprin and... Sion's and 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 this sort of thing. So Brandon, someone asked Brandon if you could form a, a Nahel bond with with a nightmare, and he said that's what did he say it was technically possible. Uh, yeah, not, theoretically which, possible. Which is not um, which is not surprising. Uh, I mean, if you can bond Kelsier, then you can bond anything. So um, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the name of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't. I, yeah, I don't know. We we could only we can't really go anywhere with like theorizing. Yeah, like me. Well, in, like, in my theory that the hijo are similar to the nightmares, that would mean that the hijo are kind of like Spren as well. Well, obviously they're like Spren, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, they are they are drawn by a certain thing. In this case, in, in in this case, art, creativity, right? Creation. Mm -hmm. They they change shape. They are. Um, it is notable that they are in some ways very reminiscent to uh, certain kinds of fabrials, such as the Oathgate or Soulcasters, where a spren turns into a physical object that does a thing. Um, that's something we haven't talked about because we haven't gotten to the Yumi section yet. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, the, the, the connection with Sprint, the biggest connection with Sprint to me with the nightmares is going into the the painters and like painting them is like this the way that perception, the way that perception of sapient beings like influences influences them. And so um, they have a certain amount of strength to them that resists that uh, perception, right? Um, but ultimately, like you can kind of force your will on them mentally to like make them become something else. And so the thing that is, we see that with Sprin, right? Um, I mean, the simplest example is and there's a stormlight interlude where um, two people are doing some experiments with flame sprint and they, they determine that like the, the length depends on like how you measure the, if you measure them, like they stick to a certain length. And so there's a, you can see the, like human mental um, 
human thought like influencing the way that these sprint take shape. And so it's a similar thing to me with the nightmares. Brandon did mention that there is less making them keep their shape compared to Sprin. Uh, yeah. He, he I, I I was one of the people who asked this. It's just oh, yeah. Amazingly. Okay, <laughs> several several people did ask pretty much the same question. And and part of Brandon's answer was that apparently Spren have, and I'm quoting him, an oversight from honor cultivation and odium. And this is kind of leaving them less at the whims of other people's perceptions. Which is interesting because honor specifically is splintered and so is virtuosity. So I am I am really curious about why it is that nightmares are more susceptible to um, the painter's perception than uh, than say something like a wind sprint, right, or an honor sprint. Part of me wonders if it's like they were created to be that thing more specifically, because I'm actually jumping all the way over to Sion's and thinking that like they don't even like they're not even just like dead like. Uh, dominion and devotion were like m murdered and then and then their bodies dumped into the into the cognitive realm so like uh, there's no like with the sprint you at least have like cultivation and odium still around um and, but seons are not like like they're they're holding their shape and i'm I'm not imagining that you could just like walk up to a seon and be like be a flower or be some bamboo mm -hmm. and they would turn into bamboo so maybe like there's just like some intent in how they were created what what was like behind their initiated it, them it might just be an aspect of what they're made of um because even on yumi's side with the hijo they are drawn by an act of creating they're drawn by people doing something artistic and then they're being persuaded into another shape which is exactly what painter does he he kind of captures their attention with his painting. They become what he's painting. And the, it, they even talk about it in, in Painter's chapters. He's like, why do you always do bamboo? Well, they look a little bit like bamboo. Uh, so it's kind of like they're, they're linking a spirit with an object that it's very similar to and persuading it to become that object. Yeah. Another another thing that could play into this is the fact that nightmares are kind of inherently malleable, right? Uh, even so, you you throw all the painters out of the picture, and what the nightmares are doing is they are entering the city, they're finding people, and they are transforming themselves from this mass of black goo into something that they see in people's fears and in their nightmares. So they are already kind of like that. That's the thing they do. And so it sounds like what the painters are doing, at least in part, is they are hijacking this process to then turn the nightmares into something harmless instead of something that is harm more. I will say I'm really curious what would happen if you if you sent painter to Threnody or Roshar and like had him paint some midnight essence or some uh mm. or some shades and like what how much control could you have over them as opposed to Sprin or Sion's or something with a little bit more shape to them. I thought it was interesting when they do start to create 
a shape, the nightmares, they get like white eyes and white teeth. Um, I don't know where that white is coming from. More colors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I mean, so th- there could be a Cosmere significance to this uh, with the CMYK, or it could be just Brandon. Oh, th- this is going to look terrifying, right? If you have a, a, a face of darkness and then these stark white eyes and, and white green. <laughs> it, is a, it is kind of evocative of the star, like poking through the, mm. uh, the shroud. I, don't, I have no idea what, where to go with that or what to make of it. But Yeah. And then when um, Painter is, is doing his painting of the half or partially formed nightmare, um, he says that he had to see what it could be, what it might have been. If it hasn't, if it hadn't been produced by terror, and then he pictured from looking at this crazy nightmare that it could have been the child's mother, like the child could have been dreaming about his mom in a good way, but instead he was having a nightmare or something. So mm. he's yeah. he specifically has to persuade it to be something that it could have been, and that's why the artist is necessary to this process. <sighs> I think what's happening here is that if you were trying to transform a nightmare, if you're trying to paint a nightmare into something harmless, the closer that harmless thing is to the actual current shape of the nightmare, the easier the transformation is going to be. I think we are just about done with Painter's World. We've covered, and this is where most of the world building and most of the magic comes from. We do have a lot that the actual transformation of the nightmares is just a perception thing. There's no, like, Painter is not using kinetic investiture to do this. We don't need to talk about that, and we've hinted at it before. So let's jump over to Yumi, uh, where things are much brighter and things are not made of nightmares. world is very different. It doesn't feel modern in the same way that, uh, that Kilohito does. Yumi is apparently traveling between villages, and they seem to be kind of small. Uh, so the one that she performs the amazing 37 spirit summoning has like 50 or 60 houses. So so people there congregate around, I think they're called steam wells, mm-hmm. uh, which I imagine are places where uh, uh, water geysers periodically supply water to the nearby region. And so they have this system where they, they put um, uh, uh, essentially funnels around the geyser so they can so they can have water right and the the temperature is a little milder in in those places and stuff like that uh (laughs) it's 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 like arizona right but further away from 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 these um uh steam wells it's just a barren wasteland you can't you can't walk there even on clogs uh like your like the wood bursts in fire Mm -hmm. so it's not a it's not a happy place there but some of my some of my favorite world building elements from this side of the world are all the all the floating plants trees and flowers and everything and even the buildings themselves although that's mostly because of spirits just float in the air and i i, yeah. I think that's super cool it's uh it's it's pretty fantastical i don't, I, I like it a lot i hope we get to see a lot of uh, some good shots of uh, good scenes of like these like flying trees and um, I don't know, it'll make for some pretty scenes. I think so too. 
fell. I, I like the part when he mentions this is the only planet where you're going to see tree rustlers or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like to picture that, like just seeing yeah. someone like herding trees along. <laughs> <laughs> Did it say they were like they had like big fans that they were like blowing the trees with? I think in the last chapter. I know that um, Yumi has to turn some of the spirits into um, repellers or something, which move things for like wagons and things. Uh, yeah, I think those are just like flying mm-hmm. platforms or rails, right? Because they don't want to keep the wagons on the ground all the mm-hmm. time. Uh, just So they want to lift them up during the day so they levitate. And then during the night, they drop them down. Uh, they do also have flyers. Uh, which they used to to go and like capture plants and uh, and, and trees that are too far high up, uh, you know, ones that the giant human sized crows <laughs> yeah. can't help them with, you know, something that we just casually skip over in the book. I love how random that is, like <laughs> crows. Yeah, it fits. It I yeah, think it, it fits. <laughs> Especially and, with and a they planet that everything is floating. Yeah. I, I read the word corvider and I was like, it like sounds like a real word. And I like looked it up, but it's like it's not. <laughs> well, corvid is like yeah. crow. Yeah. yeah. It, it, that's family. It's kind of funny that he like had to invent that word to like explain what these people are. <laughs> kind of uh, interesting we, that Hoyd didn't call them chickens to whoever he's telling the story to. <laughs> oh. Let's, uh, let's, let's go back to this in a moment because I have thoughts. <laughs> We we did touch on like the fabrio like nature of the spirits, so we don't need to talk about that again. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the Japanese and Korean inspirations uh, in the previous episode, so we don't need to revisit that. Yeah, no, uh, we do have to. We do have to talk about the rock band quote because I think this is <laughs> okay. Because right. I, I think this is fascinating. Okay, you take it. Um, yeah, somebody asked Brandon. If you were to drop a rock band and 300 of their most devoted followers onto Yumi's planet and they performed a set that blew their fans' minds, would the spirits show up to watch? And Brandon says yes. Um, and he says that it would help if um, if they understand a little bit about how like the magic on that planet works. I guess that's kind of part of like the perception that draws the spirits. Um, but it's it's interesting. I think that other like forms of uh, other expressions of art of art can draw the spirits. Um, it's that goes just, well uh, for painter. <laughs> I guess the like people. Oh on, yeah, that's true. Yeah, people on on Yumi's world just I guess uh, are really into rock sculptures, and so that's what <laughs> that's what happens to work. Um, but anyways, I I think that's pretty cool. I thought that was a great it, question. And, and it sounds like intent would be important there, right? So the fact that Yumi wants to draw the spirits as she is oh, making yeah. these rock sculptures, yeah. and the fact that if the rock band knows that if they play well, they will attract spirits that will make more spirits show up, right? One thing about the rock sculptures that I wasn't sure or I didn't know what was going on with was they mentioned that after she's done with the ritual, the rocks are kind of glued in place almost. And I don't know what is causing them to stay in place. And then it erodes over time. And of course, the spirits also kind of turn back into spirits rather than being whatever they've turned into. But I don't know what's causing the rocks to stay there. Uh, She she says that the spirits are... No, it's magic, right? Uh, (laughs) Each spirit, as it turns into whatever it is that 
she needs it to turn into uh, strengthens the structure of the so of the rock composition. Mm. And as the rock sculpture degrades, so does the spirit's form in the spiritual in the um, in the physical world, or or vice versa. So, what would happen if they're playing music? Like yeah, what just, caused, yeah. Like, does it just continue to echo throughout the arena <laughs> or something? Like for seventy years or however? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe you can hear like faint notes. Or the vibrations of the music or something? I don't know. I I yeah. think that's an excellent question. <laughs> yeah. So if if yeah. someone wants to Spend the question on the on the secret project four stream. Although this is gonna come after that, <laughs> yeah, so. too late. No, yeah, it's gonna be one of us. One it's gonna have to be one of us. One day we'll get a chance. Yeah. Anything else in in Yumi's side of things? Yeah. The numbers. The numbers. The, numbers. the sequence. Yeah. The artist sequence, which we know on Earth as Fibonacci's sequence. We do. One, one, two, three, five, eight. So it's basically. A sequence of numbers, when you add the number before it, it continues on, gets bigger and bigger. So one and one is two, one and yeah. two is three, two and three is five. It, it starts with one and one, and every next number is the sum of the previous two. It, it's an interesting thing. I don't know if, if it has uh, any, any kind of deep meaning outside of... So I'm not going to go digging into it, but... Uh, Painter says that it takes over a dozen feedings for a nightmare to uh, to become fully stable and become a problem. Uh, I, I think the text says a dozen, but it could be more than a dozen. And uh, one of the Fibonacci numbers is 13. Uh, and so somebody was wondering if maybe 13 is a number of significance to virtuosity. Uh, and Brandon obviously raffled this. But it was it was once again one of those aha you you are thinking interesting thoughts in there so something well, to keep in mind as we the numbers are definitely important because in Yumi's culture they're doing the ritual bathing and everything and you, if you notice when you're reading you see that number sequence again in her bathing um, yep. with the first soap she washes twice with the second soap she washes five times and and then she ends up. Um, having to hold her breath underwater 144 times. So all of those numbers are in the sequence. So yeah. there's a cultural significance to them and it shows up over and over. And then if it does show up in painter's world, then that would be very interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. I'm not totally convinced that like the number 13 thing that they were kind of getting out of their question is matters, but the, the sequence of numbers is certainly, it comes from somewhere on their world. I'm curious to know what, um, what that is and how it plays into things. Um, and, and it, I think Fibonacci sequences really kind of plays into art in a lot of ways, like naturally, mm -hmm. if, if I'm not mistaken. So it's, uh, it, it fits the themes of the book, I think a lot as well. And, and, uh, virtuosity that we'll get to soon of, of art. Yeah. As a matter of fact, let's, let's jump right into, into virtuosity, right? Uh, we've, we've teased, uh, our penultimate shard reveal. Uh, shard number 15, uh, Virtuosity, a name that uh, Brandon hadn't originally uh, decided on. Like it, it was an idea. He was playing with artistry as, as an alternative and pretty much universally within the company when he floated the idea, uh, everyone liked Virtuosity better. 
Um, as Eric's solo video goes into, virtuosity has nothing to do with virtue, something that uh, at least several of us made an incorrect assumption on. Uh, it's, it stems from the same thing as virtuoso, uh, which has to do with uh, s extreme skill in, um, uh, in art and various artistic pursuits. Uh, whether it be music or visual arts or anything like that, which is, which is what the shard deals with, right? We do know that it was one of the original 16. It is not a shard that has changed vessel, and it is not a hybrid shard, which I think some people were suspecting because of the, the two-color thing. We do have a question and a word of Brandon from Asmodeus9 about what... Uh, Virtuosity was doing all in, in this entire time period up until her splintering because she was splintered only 1700 years prior to the events of this story. And so we have another like 10,000 or 9,000 or whatever it is years before that. And Brendan says that Virtuosity was exploring the artistic expressions of the Cosmere uh, and choosing not to settle in one location something that Virtuosity was not keen on doing. Not for too long, at least. So she never settled down on a, on a planet and kind of made her home there, invested in a single planet the way we've seen with, with most other shards. That's what I'm getting as well. I, I suspect she was like traveling around and exploring and maybe like taking a break here and there, mm -hmm. helping or not helping, but influencing the people of a given world and then just moving along kind of quickly. I mean, it, it fits that, like, uh, I don't know, with these, like, ideas of artistic expression, I get the sense that, like, she wanted to kind of, like, see a lot of different things and a lot of creativity, which takes a lot of newness, you know what I mean? Um, spends, spend too, much, too long in one place and kind of you've tapped out some form of expression and she wants to go see something new. It makes me wonder if she was around, like, Analthus, because they have a big emphasis on um, painting and art and color perception and things or um, what other worlds that she kind of influenced. Cause we see a lot of art in these books, um, a lot of places with people who do um, art for art's sake, really. Which speaking of, of artists, uh, this is a, a very good segue into another question that I personally wouldn't have thought to ask, but in hindsight, it is, a perfect question uh and it harkens back to uh an old word of brandon and and at this point it's in the texts i think even uh that tells us that hoyd was offered a shard and and he turned it down and and so somebody made a very astute in my uh in my opinion observation that hey hoyd is a big like he's big into the art scene he's a musician he's uh, a visual artist he like light weaving is a big deal for him virtuosity seems like a suspiciously good fit for him uh and so they asked if uh one that's the shard that he was offered and two if it would have done uh anything different if if he had been the vessel of that shard raffle on whether that's that's the one he was offered but uh, a, a, another confirmation that vessels have a small, very small influence on the expression of the shard that they pick up. 
Uh, but it still would have been virtuosity. It still would have been about these things. I could see it being like, you know, maybe um, it would still be called virtuosity, but maybe like if Hoyd was in control, maybe he would have been happy to settle down somewhere and explore more deeply, like a particular expression or something like that. I don't know. That's the, that's to me, that's the, like, I guess the range of control that I imagine. Perhaps. He did also, someone asked if uh, we would explore virtuosity more in this book in detail or whether there would be more in future books. And he kind of sounds like it's leaning more towards like, maybe we'll get more in the future. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, I I believe he said that virtuosity was not a big plot point of this story. Is this uh, virtuosity, is this the shard that was doing its own thing and kind of hiding from the others? It kind of seems like she was just minding her own business and just wanted to do her art and didn't really have a stake in a, a lot. And then she splintered herself. It's it's hard to, it's hard to see virtuosity as the shard that's just trying to survive when she went and like splintered herself. Mm. Um, but she could have had a, a big change of heart. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, big, so, big question mark. Hmm. We we could go in and, and speculate on the final shard, but honestly, that that can be an episode of its own, and we don't have we don't have time for that. It probably uh, will be. It, it shh, no spoilers. <laughs> what we do have time for is a quick recap of Hoyd and Design's role in the story. Uh, we touched on them uh, in the in the first episode, so we don't have much to talk about, but we do have. A couple of a couple of interesting wobs. Uh, the most important of which is that the existence of noodles is one of the major factors that drove Hoyd <laughs> to visit this this world. Um, I don't know about major. It, the it, most significant it, thing that <laughs> Hoyd was offered the noodle shard. <laughs> I thought that was like uh, for instant noodles, though. Not just noodles, because yeah. I can't imagine none of the other planets have noodles. <laughs> Hoyd doesn't discriminate against noodle types. <laughs> he loves all noodles equally. They've they've got to have instant noodles. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they got if they got noodle shops, they've got instant noodles. Yeah. For their heon microwaves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, which they absolutely should have, right? Yeah. We do have a raffle on the status of the relationship between Hoyd and Yasna, uh, and I think a big reason for that raffle is that. We don't know the timeline of of when this thing takes place, and depending on the timeline, confirming the status of that relationship could be a spoiler, or the status yeah, of that I mean, person. I mean, it could be like five hundred years in the future, and Yasna's like just like died happily in her sleep, like hundreds of years ago. And I, I mean, I, it's hard to say what. Yeah, it is after Stormlight Five, though, because design is present. Um, and I think it's interesting. It's exciting to see Hoyt in design off of Roshar. There's been like tons of like speculation over the years. Years has it been years since Stormlight Four came out? Well, uh, I guess it was since Oathbringer. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. like whether or not Hoyt would be able to get off of Roshar with design, and so this kind of answers that question. Yeah. Yeah. And and honestly, that that's about it for Hoyt in design. I hope. I hope dearly that this design in encounter is not a one-off and and we'll get to see her more uh not only in this book but also maybe in in tress of the emerald sea where we know for a fact hoid uh is present 
And and honestly, I I just want design in like for the rest of the Cosmere, just mm-hmm. just here and there. <laughs> she she is an absolute delight. Yes. Mm-hmm. We do have a very brief and offhanded mention of my pawn sticks, which you may have not recognized, but my pawn is the nation that Shy from the Emperor's soul comes from. So this this mention, as as well as another couple later on, tells us either A that these sticks have been popularized in the Cosmere and they are just now known as, as my pawn sticks. Or B, there is at least somebody... Well, the audience that Hoyd is telling this story to would be more familiar with the term my pawn sticks than whatever it is that the in-world uh, name for these things is, mm-hmm. which I, I think we actually have in, in the book. There's a couple of places where Hoyd's like, hey, I'm going to call this this thing because you're familiar with it but in world they actually call it that it'll be interesting to see if one of the characters refers to it as my pawn stick yeah <sighs> well hoid would be translating that anyway true I, I it did feel to me like i guess most of the other references that he was making was like as an aside to so like there are a lot of other cosmere references made uh, he mentions chols at some point um he mentions he talks about like the how the rice is is different than what you would recognize it to be on Scadrial, but he's calling it rice anyways. In most of those situations, he like he's either speaking to the audience, or he is uh, he kind of directly calls it out as like they they call it you know, it's something a little bit different, but I'm going to call it this. Um, and he didn't do that with those. It could be oh. it could be a similar thing. But he um, also didn't refer to crows as anything that whoever he's talking to would would know. Yeah. Yeah, so true. so possibly something to keep in mind yeah. or keep an eye on, but not not necessarily. It's a little a detail. Deal. I don't think it's a huge plot yeah. relevant. Mm. Uh, certainly not huge, <laughs> but it's intentional. We do have a word of Brandon on on Fey, which is uh, a type of creature mentioned right next to Spren and Sion. Um, uh, not not Spren. Uh, sp- he's talking about the Hijo, the spirits, and he. Uh, he references Fey, Sion's, and s- spirits. Oh, was that was that but, it? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't mention yeah. Sprint, but I mean, clearly he's he's basically saying these are all basically like I don't know. I mean, these are all cognitive beings in the Cosmere. Um, yeah. So presumably, Fey is like someone on some world would call cognitive beings on their world. Fey is what that means, right? Yeah. Um, they will not be like winter court summer court like irish and welsh mythology fate right uh but i imagine the reason brandon is picking this word is because there are some similarities at least uh and i i for one for years have been hoping that there will be fey or fairy or some equivalent in the cosmere so this is this is making me really excited Mm. He did say, I, I was kind of amused at the end of that, he did say it is, it is not Secret Project 4 that they appear in, uh, but it is one of those other things you mentioned. Um, and the question only mentioned, I think the only other thing it mentioned was Kingmaker. <laughs> so I don't, uh, I don't know well, if he's a, Kingmaker or another future Cosmere book. Or another future. Yeah. Okay. He's the Secret secret Project. <laughs> Uh, well, so so he's saying it could be Kingsmaker or it could be something else that I haven't written. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Or at least have one announced. It's interesting that he has an idea of a world where they would call them that. It's not just kind of thrown out as a as a term. Anyways. Which I would expect from Brad, yeah. right? He, he doesn't just make things up without some some backing. <laughs> and so I do I do want to end the episode on a little bit of recap and speculation on the audience for this story. Um, as with uh, Tress of the Emerald Sea, Hoyt is not just telling a story, he's telling a story to someone uh, or a group of people. And uh, we don't have any idea whether he's telling the Tress story at the same time as, as this story. Uh, like, is he just sitting in the lecture hall for a week and a half talking to people? Or are these vastly different points of time? But we do have some interesting, uh, interesting word choices in, in this one. Uh, specifically, he, uh, specifically, the way he conveys Yumi's words, he doesn't call Liyun just Warden. He calls her Warden Nimi. Uh, and Brandon draws our attention to the fact that Nimi is very specifically a Shin word, and 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 that Hoyd is very deliberately picking a Shin word to describe the the tone and the voice and what Yumi is trying to convey in this thing. So that tells us at least one of at least two things, right? Uh, thing number A: his audience are are bunch of shins right that's easy enough two which i personally think is a lot more likely is that we are uh, considering the other things we'll talk about in a moment we are looking at a mixed audience that is not necessarily not necessarily directly from roshar like they could be let me give you my headcanon because that's going to explain uh, my my thinking a lot better. Uh, I think he's in like Silverlight or something. So he's in a place where there are a lot of world hoppers and some of them are from Roshar and some of them are specifically Shin people from Roshar or descendants of Shin people and some of them are Alethi and Vaden and there's some Skadrians in the audience and there's some people from Cell, for example. And so for whatever reason, Hoyd is telling all of these people and all of them are at least loosely familiar with the worlds of the others. So when he's saying, oh, you might call uh, Painter Vaden because his, his skin, skin tone is a little paler the, than the average Alethi. He doesn't then need to go and explain to the Skadrians in the audience what a Vaden is or how they look like. So that's what I think is happening here. I, I agree. I, th- I mean, it definitely implies, I think, that the audience is familiar with multiple worlds uh, because he doesn't like stop and explain it to multiple people. He's saying one thing. And there's times where he leaves, he he just talks about Alethi and Vedan, like, like th- assuming the person knows, but then like when he goes and lists um, all the, 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 the different cognitive beings, he like leaves Sprint out and nobody's like confused, mm-hmm. presumably, that he didn't he didn't mention Sprint. So like they're aware of like all these different terms. It is interesting that he 
mixes them up, mixes things around like that. I mean, I, I, I guess it would imply to me that they are specifically like a mix of people who are maybe more or like some of them are maybe more familiar with one thing and some are more familiar with another, right? Because if they were like Scadrians who just happen to be like familiar with these other terms, I would think that he would just use their terms for their own benefit anyways. You know what I mean? Um, it implies to me that it's a mixed audience that are also familiar with. What are you thinking, Phil? You have an opinion on this? I mean, obviously, we know the audience is Emily. So. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. episode's over, everyone. She, she nailed it. No. <laughs> Thanks for um, listening. <laughs> my, my theory is that the audience here is different from the audience for Tress. Because um, Tress has mm. a completely different feel to me. It feels more... Well, I won't go too into it, but... It just has a different way of storytelling. In this one, um, I want to say that he's using this story as a teaching method, some kind of storytelling class or something. Um, so in my mind, he's using all of these different terms in the same sentence as a way to say, if you're talking to your audience and your audience is from this planet, then you can use this term. If you're hmm. talking to a different audience, you can use this term. So he's kind of giving examples so that whoever is going to be retelling these stories would be able to um, adapt it to their own audience. But that's just my own headcanon. There's no real evidence to that. It would oh. be pretty fantastic if we're like reading Mistborn Era 4 and like there's like the scene where like Hoyd like pulls some character to side and is like, I need to tell you the story of Tress and of the Emerald Sea. Uh, mm -hmm. That would be really fun. That That's going to feel so good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, to, uh, to hear the names of these books yeah. be referenced in world, that would be very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would love that. I would genuinely love that. I do, I do want to. Uh, still in the same vein of conversation. Uh, I want to quote something from from the book, the the Scadrian thing, uh, because I think the wording is is interesting. Or maybe I'm reading too much into it, but no one ever does that in this fandom, so this is fine. Uh, so he's talking about how Nikara is getting some rice, and he says it wasn't actually rice, as you'd call it on Scadrial. The local world was Mingo, and then he proceeds. Maybe by by virtue of me not being a native speaker, I'm reading too much into this, but it wasn't actually rice as you'd call it on schedule. Reads to me like the way Hoyd would address a Scadrian. Specifically, mm -hmm. right? Because if his audience was, let's say, full of Shin people, he would say something like, it wasn't rice as they would call it on schedule. Or mm -hmm. As you or as you would call it in Shinobar or something like that, right? So the the you is is interesting to me here. Well, I think that really comes down to the way that it's being narrated. Like if you say it's not rice as you would call it on Scadrial, or he could have said say um, it's not rice as you'd call it on Scadrial. Like if you don't put the emphasis on you, then it would be more like you as in like anyone. So there's like two different ways of pronouncing okay. that sentence. Anyone, could, anyone could like gesture with. to a specific person yeah. in the audience when he says yeah. that it's, okay. it's ambiguous to me, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think I, I may have fixated too much on that. 
But that would be really interesting uh, if um, Brandon mm-hmm. gives very specific feedback to an audiobook narrator on how he wants certain mm-hmm. things to be mm-hmm. spoken. Uh, I would be, I would love yeah. to be a fly on the wall of that conversation. <laughs> this, this one really does kind of these. This one and trust do kind of demand like having it like an trying out the audio audio experience along with the text, mm-hmm. like both of them, just because mm-hmm. of the, yeah. the nature of like this is how it's being told and this, the story is orally. I I am considering listening to these as I'm as I'm reading. Like I, I normally don't do audiobooks, but mm-hmm. for for these, I think especially for one and three, mm-hmm. uh, I think the the Hoyd experience might. I need to go increase my pledge after we're done here. <laughs> and as a final note, I think uh, regarding the audience, uh, Brandon just says that we probably won't be able to figure out who the person or the people. I I, I think it's multiple people. I think it has to, be, right? Mm. Uh, but, you're, but you're right. He said he said that it will not be like the story. He's pretty sure that the story does not make it like explicitly clear. He's talking to these people over here. It's just something to kind of keep an eye on and, and toy with. Um, he mentioned that he thought about adding an epilogue where like Hoyd like addresses the audience and decided not to do that. So fun. And I think I think that concludes uh, everything that we wanted to talk about. So I, I know we skipped a, a few things in our outline. So as, as final thoughts in this episode, uh, either, either final thoughts or something that we skipped that you really wanted to, to bring up. Yes, I didn't. I don't think we have a lot to talk about it, but um, there is a sentence that says that Hoyd had some kind of anomaly or affliction or something that caused him to freeze. And I have no idea what it is. I don't have any speculation about it, but I thought it was important to note because mm-hmm. something happened to him that caused him to become a co-wreck. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I know at least one person has brought up the idea that he is super burning cadmium and that's why he's frozen in time. And I think this suggests that this is not the case. This was something that was done to him, not something that he did to himself. But he doesn't seem too nervous about it, like too anxious that like, oh, someone's attacking me. It is after the fact. So maybe he had a long time to. Mm-hmm. True. He did. Get, He's he also did virtually immortal. So he did get eaten by a chasm fiend once uh, <laughs> without too much concern. So <laughs> Something that we didn't actually put in our outline. Um, one thing I really like about uh, this story is the the themes that it's kind of exploring. Um, I love um, the uh, there's a couple of things, but I mean, the, probably the biggest is like just art exploring like what art looks like and what it is. Um, I'm really excited to see that. I don't know. I be interesting to see how it pairs alongside um, Emperor's Soul, which is one of my favorites that Brandon has done, and it kind of does has some maybe some similar exploration, but. Um, mm looking forward to that yeah it does it in terms of tone it doesn't feel similar but in terms of themes there there are some parallels that i am i am looking forward to because emperor soul did have very interesting exploration about the nature of people and the nature of art and the interaction between people and art and i know that brandon himself thinks about this a lot or at least talks about this a lot um in the context of like writing novels and what it means for art to be art and for people to consume art and so on so hopefully this is this is as good as we want it to be 
I know we're not talking about Secret Project 4 at all, but I don't think this is spoilery enough to say this is 100% going to be my favorite of the four. <laughs> Yumi? In the- yes. 100%. It's totally well. my thing. Art and a little bit of romance and young people figuring themselves out, figuring out life. It's 100% up my alley. Well, I, I am sure I speak not only for myself, but also for many in our audience that we would be excited to see what this inspires you to create. I'm very excited about that, too. <laughs> Whenever I get a chance. <sighs> Never um, writing books for no, more than yeah. a few weeks. Just if you can, if you can dodge a French, <laughs> you can dodge a novel that Brandon has written in the past three days <laughs> and has thrown at your head. Um, I I don't have any any notable final thoughts. I am interested in seeing where this whole body swap things goes. Uh, I'm interested in seeing more of Hoyd and more of design. Uh, and I'm I'm curious to see if Brandon is gonna sneak uh, the sixteenth shard in in this book just because just because he can or the seventeenth shard or the seventeenth shard yeah oh I had an idea by the way so I, I oh gosh <laughs> I'm sorry uh not not it, 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 some of you well some of you in the staff might know that I've been toying around with the idea of a website where you curate like a lot of art and and for a long time. My idea for the name was like Arts Canum or Arcanum Art Canum or Bound or something like that. And and, uh, and as as the virtuosity thing dropped, I was like, but what if we call it the fifteenth shard? Because uh... <laughs> anyway, anyway, this has been our second and final episode on the preview chapters of I was gonna say Rhythm of War. Uh of you. Yeah, that's my Nightmare. show. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, sorry. I've been I've been infected by previews investiture. We don't know what we're gonna have next, but it's probably gonna be Secret Project Four. Uh, until until that drops, you can join us on seventeenthshard.com for new series discussion and fun. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud. Uh, something about review on iTunes. We now have an Instagram account you can follow for our monthly Patreon art commissions as well as some random art that we uh, share from artists we find in the community. Speaking of Patreon, that's a place you can support us at uh, for as low as a dollar a month or euro if you are in the place where euro is the preferred Patreon currency. And you get a Um, special patron channel in our Discord. You do. You do. There are excellent, only excellent people in there. Uh, and you also get other things like the ability to vote on what art thing we're going to commission next. And you also get some outtakes when we actually have time to produce outtakes and are instead of not just dead all the time. But I think that I think that's all we got. Uh, do, the, do the YouTube things. Find a stranger in the street and recommend the video to them. And uh, I, I guess we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> well, audio listeners are going to be so confused by these yeah. <laughs> very, very audible thumbs up. Bye, everyone. Bye.